When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. ask anybody's question for years you're an idiot and really a disloyal person what's up everyone welcome to the disloyal idiots podcast here on the fans for sports network and finally that intro sound bike actually means something because we are actually in the season which said sound bites takes place in disloyal idiots that means basketball season is starting don't ask what happened on friday no, nothing, nothing at all happened on Friday. Uh, anyone who's listening to this, uh, if you want the pitchforks out, if you want to hear uh, crazy rants and whatever, we're not going to do that today because hoop starts on Monday. And I think the catharsis of talking about that may help all of our collective thoughts on what happened on Friday and where the fallout is. Uh, we'll talk more football when Pregler gets back. We will talk uh Syracuse moving on to the ACC semifinals in soccer later in the pod but since we have uh uh, noon's royalty with us uh when it comes to the basketball side of things this week uh we're going to talk hoops with Mr. James Zuba so welcome to the pod James uh good to be aboard with you guys Uh, I didn't know Sean Keeley was going to be here No, good to be with you. Yeah, we got uh, Fiasco out on the football field, but uh, for most Syracuse fans, I think the attention shifts, if it hasn't already, toward the basketball season. And uh, turns out there's much intrigue with the program this year, so I'm sure we'll get into that. It's been a while since we've had one of those Syracuse football seasons where is it basketball season yet comes up? Because it feels like there's actually been some interest in Syracuse football over like the past couple of years of, oh, how far can this team actually make it before basketball rolls around and maybe that's also just a factor of behind being in his waning years and not really producing a great team to put out on the court but now there's no more Jim Beheim. there's a lot of new faces on this Syracuse team and this is I, I think from what we've all written about and what it just looks like now this is the first step of a modern Syracuse basketball look which is Awesome to say, and probably for the olds, a little weird to say. Yeah, it starts at the top. I think when you you use the term modern, right, it, it starts with the new head coach. And uh, obviously, you know, Jim is no longer here after 47 years, just a, still here, just in a different role, but uh, no longer coaching, which is strange. Um, but yeah, Adrian Autry, you know, if you follow closely, you know, he's going to play man to man. He's said it at media day. He's not shy about that. Um, he's bringing the offense along. He wants to play with depth. He wants to play more than seven guys. Um, I'm sure the pace will pick up as well as we've, we've heard about. So um, on both ends of the floor, really playing with depth, changing the defense around and uh, looking, to, looking to use more guys along the bench. And he has the talent this year to do it. So um, a, lot, a lot of changes for Syracuse. Um, the, we'll still see the 2-3 zone. We saw it a little bit in the exhibitions, but there's, there's a lot of changes, and Adrian's really looking to bring the program forward. And as you already alluded to, the defense is already going to be like the you know, star of what the early season talking points are going to be about. And I feel like it's mixed reviews at best, at least in the, in the preseason, mainly because of second-half efforts and uh, three-point defense which is not necessarily something you want to be worried about. But again, it's preseason, and who knows if that carries over into the actual games. 
Yeah, so we've looked into, you know, like the defense. It seems like a lot of people are reading into it. I, I don't know how much I'm willing to place on these first two games. Obviously, Syracuse is still working on their stuff. Um, still looking to get familiarity, getting back on the court. Judah Mintz didn't play in the first exhibition. Now you take into account all these things, but, but Christian, you bring up a good point. I think early in the second half for both of those games, Syracuse kind of took their foot off the gas and looked a little lackadaisical, especially defensively. I don't know if that's a byproduct of playing with a large lead um, or maybe, maybe it does signify that the defense will, you know, have its problems this year. And um, certainly on the, the, the glass as well, you know, Syracuse didn't rebound that well in, in either of those first two exhibition games. So um, definitely something to monitor. I don't know that I'm going to take away too many definitive conclusions after these two games, but uh, yeah, definitely something to monitor, especially just given where, the zone has been in recent years and, and all of its failings and foibles as we've all been well too familiar with uh, over the last few years. Yeah. And that's kind of something we've, uh, I guess if you're, if you're following on our sister site, newsmagician.com, uh, the, the basketball staff did their round table, their annual, annual preseason, uh, Everybody puts the superlatives out for who's going to do what. And it, it really seemed like the consensus was we're not going to know anything about this team until that Tennessee game. Because it, it's – you've got what? Uh, New Hampshire, Canisius, and – Colgate. Col- oh, oh, boy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we might find out something during that Colgate game. Oh, God. It's – you know what's sad is that Colgate has become a game a game to circle on the schedule these past couple of years. Um, oh, how the mighty have fallen! But uh, yeah, I mean, what do you do? You think we're going to get anything definitive before that Tennessee game? Like, I I believe Colgate's down from their ridiculousness slightly. Yeah, I think the first two games will just be kind of, uh, you know, see what you get. Syracuse should be able to win both of those those games, just given the competition level. Um, I, I know Colgate's got a few guys back. Uh, I don't know that they'll be what they were last season, but obviously they still have Matt Langle as the head coach, so that brings yeah. its concerns. I, the only thing I think we might be able to look at in that game is just how much of the, those losses was it on the 2-3 zone versus, you know, Colgate's really good. Um, TBD on that, but uh, yeah, certainly I don't know that we'll know too much before Maui because I think that first game against Tennessee is going to be really interesting. I don't know if you guys saw, but Tennessee actually beat Michigan State at Michigan State uh, in that that first uh, exhibition game for charity. But I think that'll be a, a really good test, a really good measuring stick for Syracuse, especially if Sakai Ziegler is playing and he's matched up with Judah Mintz. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. And that yeah, was Tennessee absolutely. without two of its better players, also, if I'm co- correct, right? Exactly. Yeah, I don't think Ziegler played in that game. Now, the question is, if we play Michigan State, do we immediately bust the zone back out? Just for posterity's sake. <laughs> you might have to, if it's a Tom Izzo coach team. Uh, you, yes. you might have to. Maybe Izzo <laughs> would sit as star freshman. Any anybody who is named Tom apparently doesn't know how to coach against the zone between him and Crean, so we should be uh, should be okay there. Unfortunately, there are no Toms in the ACC, so we can't take advantage of that in the ACC schedule. Well, when you look at roster construction, this I, I, the, the transfer names are going to be flashy because of the you now talent that was brought in. But all 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 this really points to okay, this off the, this team and offense just in general is going to run through one guy, and that's Judah Mintz. And yes, I know he didn't play in the first preseason game but he still looked like he still had you know the same elements of his game in that second preseason game where do you think he's made the biggest jump at least just in the limited sample size we've seen yeah talking with him at media day it's interesting i think a lot of us want to focus on the three-point shooting that's kind of the feedback that he got um also he's talked about just picking up the the intensity on defense you know he really wants to shine in that that capacity as well this year um, the, the shift to man, I, I think it'll it'll benefit him. As I generally think about zone versus man, it's it's usually, you know, the zone might benefit a guard who maybe isn't as quick on his feet but can kind of anticipate and, and play smart and get in those passing lanes and, um, you know, anticipate passes. But I, I, think, I, I think the switch to man will benefit Judah too. Um, you know, he was tops in the league and steals as a freshman. So 
Um, I'm, I'm really looking for that. Yeah, obviously everybody wants to see the, the development of the three-point shot. How does he shoot it this year? Um, but on the other side of the ball, too, that, that really interests me. And how is this going to work with J.J. starting? Because, yes, again, both guards coming in as, you know, flashy top 100 recruits starting, obviously, choosing Notre Dame in his first year before returning back home to Syracuse to play with Autry. But when you look at it from just a, you know, skill set perspective, it seems like both of them are pretty similar and almost identical in terms of how they play. So how is this dynamic going to work between the two guards? Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting. I think there are two different types of guards where you have Judah, who's really quick, uh, is kind of more of a slender guard. JJ's really physical, like getting up, you know, next to him at media day and just seeing how much he's developed physically. Um, I think he'll be able to do some things with that in terms of, you know, get, getting in the paint a little bit and finishing that sort of thing. Judah's just going to beat you with quickness. But in terms of perimeter play, they, they kind of do the same thing. So that's going to be the interesting thing. Um, you know, I think Judah will be the lead guard and JJ will play off ball. But it might come down to, you know, just a given matchup too, you know, I Using Tennessee as an example, you know, Zakai Ziegler is a, a great defender. If he's guarding Judah Mintz, well, maybe that means that that's going to be the J.J. Starling game uh, and vice versa. So I, I think both of them, you know, the, the shooting is really going to be the thing this year that could maybe define how well they do or maybe their ceiling. But um, in terms of stylistically play style, I think they both kind of do the same thing. So that's kind of where you know, the wings of Chris Bell and Justin Taylor come into play and their their kind of importance as well. We might as well touch on those two guys because I, I feel like the same way. I think this season is going to come down to whether Bell and Taylor can turn it on. Um, is there a world where we see both of them on the floor at the same time in long stretches? Or is it just going to be in and out, one, one for one like? Well, we, we saw that to uh, last week with Benny Williams out and they obviously both started, but yeah, to, to your point, Christian, I mean, those guys kind of both bring the same thing to, um, you know, Justin Taylor to get 12 rebounds in that second exhibition game. That would really be huge for him and Syracuse. If he could do that, um, if he could bring something just a little bit more than that shooting ability, but it's a skill set on this team that those two guys are clearly the best at. Uh, I don't know that you get quite the the same sh shooting level with maybe a Quadir Copeland or even a Kyle Cuff off the bench, um, but I don't know how much they're going to play together just because they do do the same thing, um, especially if you have Benny Williams back and you know you want to kind of play big. I, I don't know that you're going to have both of them on the court at the same time for long stretches. Yeah, I was going to say the only time like uh, my brain goes to that is if you want to space that floor and allow JJ and uh, Mintz to both be able to kind of do their thing so matchup dependent you know however they're what or whatever they're seeing on defense type thing yeah i think it is matchup dependent you know maybe if a team plays zone two or maybe if you want to move like malik brown to the center and kind of play a little bit small and, and try to get up and down and you know space the floor with shooters but yeah it's a good it's a good point steve i made a good basketball point yay <laughs> <laughs> let's touch a little bit more on this gauntlet of a schedule that Syracuse has, especially the absolute powerhouse of a non-conference schedule that almost feels like it's an SEC non-conference football type of schedule um, because it, it, it all centers around the MLE Invitational Tournament. It, it's tough to see if Syracuse has a chance in Hawaii um, based on just the power, the strength of the teams that are there. But given what we've seen from the, the preseason games, how much how much confidence do you have that Syracuse can actually at least make some of these games close and not get outright embarrassed? Yeah, I think they can compete. Um, the, the first game against Tennessee, that, that's going to be really tough. Uh, but in the second game, you know, win or lose, you're either going to get Purdue or Gonzaga. I don't know Purdue. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, I don't know how much Purdue will, will hurt them from the perimeter, um, but certainly they have Zach Eady in the middle, so that would be a potentially really interesting matchup with Naheem McLeod and how Syracuse would choose to combat that. And maybe they would try to play small, maybe they wouldn't. 
Um, or Gonzaga, you know, I, I don't know that Gonzaga is quite the, the world beater that they were maybe even two or three seasons ago. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Syracuse can compete. Um, the young guys are really going to have to step up. If anything, in a tournament like that, um, if Syracuse is going to play with depth, you know, maybe that does kind of benefit you on a short turnaround, second or third day where uh, you're not reeling as maybe as some of the other teams when you're playing back to back to back days. And when you take a look at some of the other games on the schedule, you have LSU and Georgetown, obviously, the good old Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry, and then Oregon. Those LSU and Oregon games are going to be interesting, mainly because those those seem like two teams where it's a good barometer test for Syracuse as well, because it's not the same level as a as some of the programs that are at Maui. But it feels like two programs that could be close to the same level at Syracuse right now. Yeah, exactly. Like looking at that schedule, like I think depending on what happens in Maui, Syracuse might have to win two out of three of those games. Um, obviously, the, the LSU games at home, maybe it doesn't help your metrics as well as uh, a neutral site against Oregon or even the, the game against Georgetown at Georgetown. But uh, yeah, you know, when you look at both those teams, Oregon and LSU were both uh, in the 40s in Ken Palm and Georgetown, Georgetown, excuse me, is uh, 159 from where they were last season. I think they'll be much better than that. Ed Cooley's in there. Um, they've gotten a little bit more talent in there. So I think they'll be much better than that, as will Syracuse. Syracuse is well five in Ken Palm to start the season. But yeah, uh, yeah, those games should be a little bit more competitive and around Syracuse's level. Um, in the non-conference as opposed to the Maui Invitational. Syracuse, Georgetown, that, that's going to be uh, quite the different look this year with nobody familiar on any bench. I mean, yes, Ed Cooley from when he was at Providence, but beyond that, like, what is it going to, is it going to feel the same? Is it going to be Syracuse, Georgetown, or I guess to be determined? At this it'll, point? it'll be Lemoyne, Lemoyne, Georgetown. That's the new rivalry. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, uh, you know, with the the big move, maybe maybe LeMoyne turns into their Colgate. (laughs) Could be. Could be. Just something about Syracuse-Georgetown in the Capital One Arena doesn't feel the same as Syracuse-Georgetown in the Dome. Because, right? Because, like, Syracuse-Georgetown in in NBA Arena just doesn't bring the same, like, college fear, feel, hatred, rivalry between the two programs as it does in the Dome. I think that's one of the big things that has kind of helped cool the opinion on the Syracuse-Georgetown rivalry over the years. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And it's it's hard to – it's a tougher sell on the younger part of the fan base as well, just trying to get them invested and, and care about something that they didn't live through. Um, but, yeah, certainly the on-campus feel. I've been to both. I mean, I've been down to, to D.C., and um, it, it does get electric, but, you know, the, the student section does come out for that game. But it is a totally different feel in an NBA arena versus, like, you know, the, the JMA Wireless Dome where, you know, it does feel a little bit more at, at home, college, campusy that sort of feel. But, yeah, I, I think we can all agree, like, this, this isn't the rivalry that it once was. Um, the stakes are lower. It doesn't have quite the same level of meaning when you're not in the same conference. Yeah, between the conference and the lack of gravitas between, you know, Thompson Bayheim or other Thompson Bayheim or any other coach in Bayheim, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely down a peg on the uh, fourth. Christian, if you're charting the Steve is old, uh, we're at what? How many minutes? 18 minutes in. Perfect. Yeah, we're yeah. doing good there. Well, on in terms of recency, in terms of things that have happened recently, uh, Syracuse and its non-conference schedule in just recent times just hasn't been great in terms of, especially, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of years under Bayheim, especially in 21 and in 22. Syracuse has gotten off to slow starts in non-conference plays. Obviously, the two losses to Colgate, a loss to Cornell in there as well. You know, a loss to Georgetown, and then the 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 pitfalls in the in the during the Thanksgiving Invitationals. What does Syracuse need to show? Um, not just wins, but like what do they need to show that they can, uh, in order to you know give this fan base hope that they have a fighting chance in the ACC this year? 
Yeah, I think they're going to have to beat somebody, right? Like you can't just go in and just try to be competitive on all those those types of games, the Maui and the three that we mentioned. Uh, they're they're going to have to win some of those, right? If you lose all those, then you're going to really be looking toward, you know, the ACC tournament, that, that type of thinking. Um, but, yeah, I, I think more importantly, like win a couple of those games and then be competitive, um, you know, show, show some growth. I think – for Syracuse fans, you probably want to see that the defense can step up and the, the man the man to man can work. Um, you want to be encouraged there, but yeah, I think it's just going to come down to you're going to have to win a couple of those games. You're going to have to find a way, um, and then just try to be competitive in, in every game. And um, if you can get through that non-conference, you know that's the Maui and and the, the LSU, uh, Georgetown, and you have a, a game against Virginia sandwiched in between. By the way. ACC is not really doing Autry any favors with that road game to Virginia mixed in. But, um, yeah, you're going to have to win a couple of those games to where, you know, you can be a little bit above 500 in the ACC and have hope to, to make the NCAA tournament. I feel like the ACC is starting to do that every year, just sprinkle in a random game way too early when the teams have no idea what's yeah, remember, going on. Remember, remember 19? Yeah, when we opened with Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, that was in one, in one of the worst games of basketball ever. <laughs> That's what uh, we thought when we saw the, the Wisconsin Virginia debacle, which was somehow even worse, even more lower scoring than that game. Oh my God. The, the worst game that will forever be ingrained in my memory. And it's not even the Syracuse game. It was, um, it was in 21 22 when I went to MSG for Syracuse Nova. And the lead into that game was Tennessee Texas Tech, and it featured some of the worst basketball I've ever seen in my life. I remember that game. I remember that game well. That was bad. Was the final two minutes wasn't that a rough stretch of basketball in the final two minutes, especially. Yeah, I remember everyone in the MSG crowd audibly booing during those minutes. But there was a there was a play where a a player from I think it was Texas Tech. Missed a runaway dunk with no one on him. It was just the epitome of awfulness in that game. You're supposed to be able to dunk as a Division One college basketball player. Last time I checked, usually comes in handy. Yeah, right. It usually is like one of those like minimum qualifiers as a Division One basketball player, right? Pretty sure. Yeah, one I know fast break. You're supposed to be able to score on that. Yeah. A person who can definitely dunk is Naheem McLeod, but I'm not sure we're going to see much of him do much of that this year, just mainly because he's definitely not the same offensive player as Jesse Edwards. And we've already seen a bunch of Malik Five at the Brown, as we were promised by uh, John Rothstein in his initial early season practice reporting. That's right. This is, I think this, this rotation at the five is going to be very, very interesting. Cal, how do you see this going? Is is McLeod eventually going to get more minutes and play, you know, closer to twenty minutes a game, or are we going to see a majority of Brown at the five and it and McLeod gets the day one Coleman hook? You, you know, you picked a good number because uh, if you said twenty five or more, I, I would have said no way. Um, yeah, for for Naheem, you know, obviously he's a lot different than Jesse Edwards. He's seven foot four, as we all know. Uh, he's a big guy down there. I worry about if this team does want to play at a faster pace, if they'll be able to kind of continue um, in, in long, heavy minutes. He wasn't really asked to do that at Florida State, given the style that Leonard Hamilton plays. Um, so, so I don't know that he'll be able to have the conditioning. I, I also worry about him being able to guard, guard ball screens. When he's out there at Syracuse isn't in his zone, teams are going to try to take him away from the rim, just given his size. He's going to have to try to guard on the perimeter, um, ball screens, that sort of stuff. I don't know if he'll be able to do that as well as Malik Brown will. So I see Malik Brown, you know, playing a lot of time at center this year. Um, you know, Peter Carey obviously got some run. We didn't see Moni Hima in either of the exhibitions. Um, not sure he did say that there's nothing health-wise wrong with him. I don't know if I totally buy that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that uh, – you know, Malik certainly gives you the, the best option if, if you want to play up and down, switch ball screens one through five. I think he's probably the most the most versatile center you can have, just, just given those attributes. I I don't know. 
uh, are we going to, you know, six eight six eight center? I mean, it was. Yeah, are we just going to run small ball and see what happens when we have three seven foot options? I, I think so. I, I think well, it, it's going to be matchup dependent. You know, uh, like like that Purdue game that that probably be really interesting with Ed in there just to see how Autry wants to combat. You know, size. Does he try to go size with size? Does he try to go you know small right. ball? Um, but but I think in and of itself, I don't know that you know Malik Brown's going to get twenty or twenty five minutes at the center. But I think if you you're playing three guys there or maybe even four, um, he's probably going to get more on average than the other guys. Just just given that, um, right? Good change of pace option and different look and reliable as opposed to, you know, we've seen Patterson, we've seen Carey so far to a degree. Uh, we know. I mean, we saw Hema last year. And I do apologize. Uh, there are only two seven footers. The carry and Hema are six foot eleven. With you know, oh, so close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, also, I don't know. Also, not every seven foot four player can be Victor Wembanyama. Also, I feel like none other than him can be. <laughs> what that dude is doing right now is nuts. Like I, I think we all knew he was going to be good, but not this good. At least at the start of the NBA season, yeah. we need Nahima Cloud to, to develop ball handling skills to be able to just bring it up and do it when he does. <laughs> ball handling skills, step back threes, dunks that start from outside the restricted area, blocks that start at fifteen feet in the air, euro steps that start from the three point line. It's all perfectly normal, perfectly normal for a seven foot four guy. <laughs> yeah, don't know what you're supposed to do about that. I don't know either. But it's insane that the Spurs have another generational talent at center. Uh, except for this generational talent at center is not a bruiser. It's a literally I will do everything at basketball really, really well. Well, James, you're like you're you're not you're not in the Steve is old category, but you're old enough to remember like Dirk Nowitzki when he was coming through, how revolutionary it was for like you know, Arvita Sabonis took a couple of threes. Whereas Nowitzki was like, oh, you can play on the perimeter at that height. And this is just a whole different level. <laughs> the, the idea that a poor man with, with a jump shot was kind of like revolutionary at that time is just kind of mind blowing when you consider guys like Wemby and, and you know, Jokic and all, all these yeah. stepping out and hitting threes. Uh, it's, it's kind of wild to think that what Dirk Nowitzki was doing in the late 2000s was considered revolutionary. <laughs> right, yeah, the, 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 that was like, oh my God, I've yeah. never seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you consider how Carl Anthony Towns and Brooke Lopez have adapted their games to be perimeter players and not just big guys underneath the baskets, which is how they started their careers. But Syracuse doesn't have that type of player. All their fours and fives are going to be underneath the baskets. Which also brings up a, another point that I want to kind of explore with Malik Brown because what we saw from Brown a lot when he was in the lineup at the five is that Syracuse played a lot of zone with Brown at the five. Is that something that you think stays or will we see a bit more man if, if, if as the season goes on, if they decide to go to the small ball lineup with Brown at the five? You, you know, that, that was interesting. I don't know if that was by design or just by accident where, Syracuse was just trying to get a two-three zone look, and Brown happened to be in there. Um, but yeah, I would think Syracuse would be more inclined to play the zone with Naeem McLeod for the reasons I just mentioned, or or Manirima as as his backup um, for the possessions that Syracuse does go zone. Just given those those guys as inherent you know height and length that is befitting befitting of a Syracuse center in the zone, um, I I would think Syracuse would want to be more inclined to to go with those guys. If it's a situation, like if, if you caught during the exhibitions, most, if not all, I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent of the zone positions, we're pretty much out of, out of bounds underneath sets where the ball had gone out of bounds and you know Damon or St. Rose was passing the ball in from, from the baseline. Um, Autry was going two, three zones. And then that situation, I don't know that we saw too much zone um, at the start of the possession. 
So it, it could have been a function of the ball had gone out of bounds. But yeah, I, I did find that interesting that that Brown did play uh, the center in the, in the zone. I, I don't think he would be the first choice there out of the center. Yeah. The only thing that popped into my brain was familiarity. And like McLeod not knowing his ass from a hole in the ground when it came to what they're <laughs> going to try and teach for the zone. Like if, if Autry is going to use something similar to Bayheim's concepts, like McLeod is going to be the last guy you're going to want in there when Hema and Brown have both had years in the system. Yeah. And not, not to conflate McLeod with Will Patterson, but uh, as Will Patterson got in in the final two minutes of the St. Rose exhibition, Syracuse did go zone and uh, the ball went into the high post and he just wasn't aware of where he was supposed to be. And he got out and contested the jump shot late. But I, I think that's a byproduct of Syracuse just not practicing zone as much as a, a Jim Beheim coach team would have in the practice. Right. Yeah, we we already saw what happened when you put two newcomers into his own defense, and it was twenty one twenty two, and it didn't work out that well. Well, you know a newcomer that is working out much better than uh, what you're talking about. uh, A thing that burned a hole in my wallet uh, this morning. That would be exactly what I'm talking about from Home Field Apparel. Indeed, Home Field Apparel just released today, this morning. A Syracuse bomber jacket with auto, a blue uh, Syracuse auto uh, bomber jacket with auto on the uh, chest crest. It is beautiful. I have picked one up myself, and you can too if you go to homefieldapparel.com. You can also use the code NOONS23 at checkout. It's N-U-N-E-S-2-3 at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your order. Pick up that new Syracuse bomber jacket. The Home Field Apparel has bomber jackets for a ton of basketball-related schools coming out um, in the next coming days as well. I believe Georgetown and Seton Hall uh, were part of the drops that were released today. Um, So go ahead and pick up your Home Field Apparel bomber jacket and any of their other great apparel stuff that they have at homefieldapparel.com. And again, use the code NUNES23, that's N-U-N-E-S-2-3, at checkout for 10% off your order. And this is Christian making good on a promise. Uh, Indeed, years ago at this point. <laughs> at this point, yeah, when when Connor first dropped the Indiana bomber jacket, so obviously he was going to. I said, if they, if they ever make a Syracuse one, I'm getting it. And boy, did they drop a Syracuse one! <laughs> I am definitely getting it. Um, that we love Home Field Apparel. You should go again, HomeFieldApparel.com. Grab yourself all your retro Syracuse gear. Including this shirt. Ah, the good old Syracuse 90s logo. James, I don't know, and I think a lot of uh, experts will agree with me on this. I don't know where Syracuse stands in the ACC power rankings. I've seen anywhere as high as 6, 7. I've seen as low as 10. Where... Is Syracuse, do you think, in this ACC pecking order? Yeah, a lot, a lot of mixed reviews. I'm sure all those experts are, are tuning in to, to get the real. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I think CBS had Syracuse as low as 11th. Uh, I think the conference Syracuse is picked to finish 10th or 11th. Um, Las Vegas is, is a lot more bullish on Syracuse than, than the experts. Uh, Las Vegas gives Syracuse the seventh best odds to, to win the league, which I found interesting. Hmm. Um, you know, s- some of that has to do with the ACC, and the middle of the ACC is maybe more close together than it has been in recent years. I don't know that the, you can realistically look at the teams in the middle of the pack and make too many great arguments to say why one team should be better than the other. Um, with the exception of maybe Clemson and Virginia, fourth and fifth. I think the top three are obvious. But, you know, I I think Syracuse can compete for, you know, fourth or even fifth in the league. And realistically, they're probably somewhere in the six to nine range. I don't think this team's going to finish 10th or 11th in the league. I I think there's too much talent here. Um, You know, even with with Chance Westry out indefinitely and, um, you know, Benny Williams, you know, should rejoin the team soon. All, all these sort of things that are going on. I just think there's too much talent uh, on the Syracuse roster for them to finish that low. Um, but certainly I get the, the uncertainty mixed in with a, a group that's, uh, you know, an ACC conference that's 
you know, a little bit closer in, in terms of talent than maybe it has been in years past. Well, let's touch a little bit on those two guys that are been out for quote unquote reasons. Benny Williams, we know suspended for a violation of team rules. Who knows if he'll be back. Um, but I want to start with Chance Westry because I feel like he was a dark horse candidate for grabbing a starter spot, a starting spot at some point this season due to his shooting. Um, and as we've already mentioned, Syracuse really only has two pure shooters on this team. And I feel like Westry could have been the third guy to that mix. How, how much does it hurt that he's out indefinitely? It, it does. This is where the depth helps you, obviously. But for Westry specifically, he was a guy that could do a lot of different things. Um, you know, just going through some of his highlight tapes, you know, I haven't seen him play too much in person other than the, the orange tip-off event. But, you know, he, he was a guy that can kind of be really good at ball screens. He can get by his guy. Um, I think he's kind of another iteration of, like, the J.J. Starling, Judah skill set. Um, but he did have a little bit of a jump shot as well where he can step out and shoot. I just think his, his versatility and his, his willingness to really play any position. Um, I was talking to him at media day and he just said he's willing to play wherever, you know? Um, but I, I think that's kind of where it hurts you where it, where it helps Syracuse is with the depth and, and kind of having a guy like Quadir Copeland who can maybe do some of those similar things. Um, who's looking for, you know, a bigger role off the bench this year and having a guy like Kyle Cuff who's looked pretty solid as well. Um, but yeah, certainly losing chance. That's a, it's a big blow. And in terms of the guards and, and what they have on the perimeter with the wings, he probably has the second or third highest ceiling of all of those guys. Um, I don't know how quickly he would have got there this year, kind of coming off an injury and he, he didn't really play at Auburn last year. Um, but, but I think his upside is huge just given his, his frame, his his height, and, and his ability to do multiple different things out there. I, I think he's got a really high ceiling. So hopefully for Chance, you know, he can get back sooner rather than later. But if, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I don't expect him back anytime soon. It's so weird seeing all these uh, names from, you know, uh, recruiting years gone by yeah. actually showing up on the roster. Like, if there was any, if there was any possibility in my brain that we would see Chance Westry, J.J. Starling, uh, like uh, on the roster, like what, how, <laughs> how yeah. did, how, how did red pull this off? By being <laughs> red and not Bayheim. <laughs> Effectively. <laughs> Getting a little lucky and uh, maintaining good relationships with people is important. Um, and, and on the other side too, you know, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the news slack, but you know, what's the likelihood that this happens Jalil Bathia, you miss out on him, and he goes he goes to Miami. Um, you know, maybe if he gets hurt or it doesn't work out at Miami, he remembers the good relationships he built with the, the Syracuse staff. And, you know, for a lot of these guys, talking with them, Kyle Cuff, Westry, I found it interesting that, you know, a lot of these guys said, I, I want to be closer to home. Um, sometimes in a post-pandemic world, those sorts of things matter and having relationships with people. So, you know, in today's world of the transfer portal, you never know. You're not necessarily recruiting guys always for the first go around. You know, sometimes it's about the second time too. Yeah, and you never know. Miami's program may go under if Johnny Reese continues <laughs> to spend billions of dollars on players. That's a good point. You know, J- Jim Laranaga is not getting any younger either. So there's all kinds of factors. Yeah, there is indeed. Um, let's talk a little bit about Bonnie Williams, as I alluded to. Again, violation of team rules. Who? He'll probably be back soon. At least that's the assumption. If he's not back before Maui, something's really gone horribly wrong. Um, but I, I'm assuming we'll see him back, if not tomorrow, uh, for the opening game against Niagara, at least for probably the Canisius game. Where is Benny's game right now? Because as I alluded to, I don't think a lot of people are expecting the fours or the fives to play perimeter-style modern big man basketball that you see in the NBA. It seems like Benny is uh, towards, at least towards the end of last season started to kind of try and tailor his game to that style, but it's nowhere as near as consistent as I think people would like it to be. Can he become that modern four man that is so popular in the NBA? Can he be that for Syracuse? 
in terms of at Syracuse, yeah, I, I think he could be that. Um, it's it's as you mentioned, Christian. It's you know kind of the the motor and the, the ability to not take plays off that sort of thing. Benny Williams has all the talent in the world and all the tools to be a really really good college basketball player at Syracuse. Um, for him, I just think his confidence and, and under you know a new leadership, a guy that recruited him out of high school in Autry, I, I think that's going to do wonders for him. And one thing. Yeah, I kind of wrote an article about it before, right before Benny was announced that he was suspended for the team. It kind of takes away from the point, but I think it's it still stands as. But Benny Williams has really grown up, and he's he's really mature in talking with him, and the, the way that he speaks. Um, he kind of came into Syracuse as a young looking kid, just a top talent, and he's really grown. And you know, talking to him at media day, you could really tell. Um, could tell in the tone of his voice that he's much more confident it's much more mature and he hasn't blamed anybody for expectations that maybe have been placed on him or for not living up to what maybe people expected um having up and down seasons uh, he's taken responsibility he's saying I, I never wanted to transfer i love syracuse there's everything i need to be a good player is here um so hearing that stuff is kind of interesting and uh, I, I think he's going to have a good year. I, you know, I don't know that he's going to, you know, put up 16 points and have 10 rebounds a game. But I think if he can come in and, you know, give Syracuse 12 to 14 points and, you know, six to seven rebounds a game, I think he can do that. Um, and then let's see what Benny Williams does maybe his senior year. But he's he's got all the tools. I think he could, he could be that. Um, and I think he'll be able to showcase his jumper with a little bit more confidence this year, too. So let's dive in a little bit deeper into this um, ACC schedule. The home games, there's not a lot of big names in terms of the schedule, in terms of home games on the ACC side. I mean, it's Pitt, Boston College, Miami, Florida State, NC State, Louisville, Clemson, UNC, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech. Other than that UNC game, like it's it's not definitely the, the big, big names that you expect. Uh, at least on the home side. So at, you would hope that, you know, Syracuse can pick up a couple, you know, quality wins at home against, you know, teams that they haven't in order to strengthen that NCAA resume and that NET resume. Yeah, and like looking at the the back end of the schedule, we're used to just seeing a, a gauntlet of a Syracuse schedule kind of yeah. the ACC tournament. It's It's not, yeah, it's just decidedly not. Um, that last game at Clemson will be interesting. Uh, Clemson figures to be one of the better teams in the ACC with one Joe Girard on the roster. Um, but yeah, Syracuse is going to have to do a lot of its damage early, both in the non-conference um, and yeah, in, in the, the ACC as well. Yeah, the Virginia game, uh, obviously early, and then you start off ACC play with, with Pittsburgh and Duke, um, and then skipping over a Boston College game. You've got the game in Chapel Hill. Pittsburgh back in the dome, and then you get Miami. So, yeah, Syracuse is going to have to find a way to win some of those games early and then maybe stockpile some wins against the the middle tier or the lower tier of the league um, in February and, and uh, up until March. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah, there's, there's not a lot of quality games coming to the dome, is there? There's really – there's really no – no place for them to push to uh, have one last record-setting uh, record-setting game before they, you know, renovate the seats and. Yeah, it, the, the closest is. one would have been UNC, and that game's on a Tuesday. Probably not going to do it. No, <laughs> you've got a lot of ACC Saturday games. If there's one, you'll have Jim Beheim Day against Notre Dame on February 24th. But uh, Notre, uh, Dame's Notre Dame, Notre Dame, that's Notre Dame. Notre Dame is in the rebuild of rebuilds right now for their program. They're at the bottom of the bottom. Uh, they do not have much talent. You know, don't have anything to add to what anybody doesn't already know about Michael like Shrewsbury, but they do, they do not have ACC level talent on that roster this year. Good good day for Jim Beheim to get a win uh, on his day. Syracuse should win for him on that day. You know, the most Syracuse thing will be us tanking to Notre Dame on that day. <laughs> No, it will be like every Notre Dame ever over the past three years. Syracuse will go down by double digits, switch to a full-court press with 10 minutes left in the second half, and inexplicably win. No, inexplicably lose by three. 
<laughs> inexplicably Prentice Hub will some somehow be eligible for that game. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, they'll they'll find a way to beat North Carolina at home on Tuesday, and then a week later, uh, somehow lose to Notre Dame on Jim Beheim Day. <laughs> the modern the modern Syracuse basketball experience. You know what else is going to define a modern Syracuse basketball experience starting next year? Cal getting back in this alongside Stanford and SMU. Um, I love talking about this because there's because there's so many different opinions around college athletics. And James, we haven't gotten a chance to like really dive into you know what, what you think about the new friends in the ACC. How, how are you feeling about our new California and Texas friends? Well, I haven't watched Cal basketball since Alan Crabb was playing on the team when Cal could get right back in this. So it's been almost a decade. And the last time I watched SMU basketball was when they had Shake Milton. So uh, I haven't watched the basketball product of either of them. And that's probably telling for the casual observer um, of the rest of the, the sport where um, not as relevant. Uh, certainly, you know, like an academic play that fits the, the model of the conference, I guess, if you want to show for the ACC. But uh, basketball-wise, um, you know, not a terrible move given, given the state of where the conference is and, you know, what Clemson and Florida State's interests are. Um, I, I think the ACC had to do something. Geographically, it doesn't make sense. We know basketball's along for the ride, yada, yada. Um, I don't know that it really – excites anybody but uh it, it is a new look for the conference and, and a move that you had to make um those aren't huge basketball brands that i think anyone's going to be excited about i don't think anyone from the northeast is going to be in a hurry to take a plane you know out to cal or to, to texas so um yeah it, it kind of is what it is uh, don't feel really strongly either way i think it's just a move the acc had to make and here we are uh, we're playing the we're playing the bears and you know we're going to texas i guess because why not? Like, College Athletics 2023. It all totally makes sense. They're, they're amateur athletes. It's fine. Uh, don't worry. The NCAA isn't about to lose. Don't worry. The NCAA isn't about to lose billions of dollars in Supreme Court cases. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah. Literally, it's fine. No, I'm joking. But uh, what will also make this interesting? Um, a hidden interesting layer to this. How is the ACC tournament going to work with 18 teams? Yeah, David Teal, I think, had a really good article on that. I think he was asking about that at ACC Media Day. But more than likely, you're going to have to drop teams, like kind of how the Big East used to do back in the 2000s, where, you know, only the, I think it was the top 12 teams in the Big East did that at that time. Um, That's right. Yeah, you're just going to have to do, I think, 16 maybe if you're the ACC, right? Sounds right. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I remember, you know, a 14 or 15 seed getting a win in the ACC tournament. So it's not like you're losing much. Yeah, We're going to have play-in games for the play-in games and basically start the ACC tournament the Sunday Sunday. It'll be fine. Sunday before Selection Sunday. Yeah. yeah. The the seventeenth and eighteenth team will play in to play in the Tuesday night game. <laughs> but it's it's always thrilling to you know turn up on the first day of the ACC tournament and the eight o'clock game is the ten versus fifteen matchup. There we go. Barn burner. Absolute barn burner. Maybe maybe the bottom three teams just do an annual tournament in Greensboro and do a round robin. Everybody plays each other twice. And, uh, so we have an ACC NIT? Yeah, exactly. When, when, I was going to say, winner of that goes to the NIT and the two losers have to play, contractually play in the CBI. <laughs> there we go. Well, there's going to be more opportunity for the, the big boys in the NIT now because, uh, you know, the, that's, the regular that's season champs. Yeah. You can't have the mid-majors in the NIT anymore. Come on now. Where's the fun in that? No. Jeez. You have to make... ESPN is paying a lot of money for the NIT. You've got to make that tournament prestigious now. Exactly. No, because because ESPN is definitely competing with the with the NCAA for you know 
the the all important viewership numbers during March Madness. Got to fight over those scraps. Speaking of March Madness, let's you know kind of put a bow on Syracuse uh, basketball preview. With that, Syracuse hasn't been to March Madness since the bull crap Sweet Sixteen run in uh, in twenty one. It's been two years. What does Syracuse need to do to get back to the big dance? When was the last time Syracuse didn't go to the NCAA tournament three years in a row? Uh, it's it's been more than fifty years. I know that. Um, they're they're going to have to find a way to win some of those non-conference games early. Um, yeah, in the Maui that we talked about, but you know it's it's not unreasonable for this team to to get to eighteen to twenty wins. I think if you do win a couple of those games early, you know either in the Maui or you know Oregon, Georgetown, and then you're over 500 in the league, you find a way to meet, beat, uh, you know, Duke, North Carolina, Miami, uh, maybe even a Clemson, Virginia. Uh, you have you have some of those on your resume. You're going to have a good strength of schedule in the non-conference. You should have a respectable net number in that regard and amongst the other metrics that the committee looks at. But, yeah, I, I think if Syracuse can find a way to win some of those games and they're in the 18 to 20 win threshold that they'll – have a chance to be on the bubble and get into the NCAA tournament the first year. Uh, I don't think it's totally unreasonable. If you're a Syracuse fan, I think you should push for that and want for that, obviously. But uh, I don't think it's totally far-fetched to think that this team can make the, the tournament in year one. There's going to be challenges, and there'll be shortcomings, and there'll be tough losses and that sort of stuff, and things to work through with a first-year head coach. But I, I think they have the talent to, to get there. We're used to stupid losses as it is. All right, actual final question, basketball-wise. James, you were you were there for media day, you know, the whole, you know, aplomb of new players coming in, new head coach. What's your general take on the feel on the program right now and the atmosphere of the program? Yeah, it seems a little lighter. Um, I, I think that has to do with new energy and a, and a new head coach and a guy that, these kids want to play for and they were recruited by um, a lot of these kids were recruited by Autry. When you look at, you know, Judah Mintz, Benny Williams, so on and so forth. Um, JJ Starling, obviously. Um, I, I think these guys are just really excited and, you know, obviously preseason optimism knows no bounds sometimes, but these guys are really focused and determined to, to get into the tournament, you know, talking to even a guy like Kyle cup, who hasn't been a part of this program was away at Kansas is, says, you know, we, we want to bring Syracuse back, back to where Syracuse is supposed to be. Um, that was a sentiment shared by by everybody, by Benny Williams, J.J. Starling, Judah Mintz especially. Judah Mintz is really fired up at, at ACC Media Day saying he's angry and wants to get back. Um, so I, I think the, the mood is, you know, these guys are really determined. Um, they're optimistic. They want to they fight. They want to win games, and they're going to be excited to do so under a new style. I think that's the general sense and the general feel around the team. You mentioned Cuff. On the Steve is old front, I, I can distinctly confirm that his dad did play against Syracuse, so he knows what Syracuse used to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he talked about that as well. He said his, his dad – I don't know if he was matched up with Carmelo specifically um, or whether he was just speaking about the team in general, but – uh, Kyle Cuff Sr. had told his son that, yeah, just it could not stop Melo. There was nothing that could be done. <laughs> now, was it as weird as seeing Preston Schumpert's kids play for Damon? <laughs> A little bit, yeah, just because I have my like earliest memories of Syracuse basketball are Preston Schumpert hitting threes. Um, <laughs> so to think that, yeah, to go along the Steve is old category, uh, you hear guys say this that have been around for a while, and I'm just like, yeah, man. My thirties now too. I'm I'm getting a little bit older, so uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely. If Cuff's, if Cuff's dad played against Mello, he's the same age as me. Yeah, because I'm the same age as Mello. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So apparently, I could have a kid in college right now. Yeah. I you know, we keep on talking basketball talk. We might as well continue it because you brought up Mello, and that's going to be that. That's something we touched on a little bit when this all first started on. Uh, coming up earlier uh, this month with Keon making his official visit to Syracuse earlier this month. 
obviously the expectations aren't sky high as they were for when Mello initially joined the program. What's your general feel? Is it cool? Is it expectation driven? What's your general feel on Keon Anthony maybe potentially joining the Orange in the future? Yeah, it, it's cool. Um, you know, I, I don't have any special insight. I haven't like poked around or nobody's told me anything. So I don't know if he's going to come to Syracuse or not. Um, you know, you talk about like the legacy and, and what Carmelo did. And I'm sure for him personally, like visiting the building that your dad donated and has his name on has to be pretty surreal for both of them, for father and for son. Um, you know, I can imagine that there would be a certain gravity around that and a realization of like, my dad did this here. Um, could that be inspiring? Yes. Could it be pressure? Yeah, it could be that too. Um, so if he did decide to go elsewhere, uh, I think Syracuse fans could try to be understanding about that just because if he does come to Syracuse, there's almost nowhere to go but down. You're going to be compared to your father every game. And we've seen it can be difficult with legacy kids. Um, but, you know, they've done pretty well too. Andy Routens, Buddy Bayheim, you know, there's there have been those stories as well that those guys are in their spots. So, hey, we got um, them back this year. Yeah, yeah. The returning legacy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for Keon, you know, I, I think it's cool. And, you know, he does have a relationship with Mike Woodson, who was the head coach of the Knicks when Melo was on the Knicks. So that could play a factor as well. But uh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, eat it up. You know, Syracuse is obviously, uh, when you think of Carmelo, you think of Syracuse. And, uh, you know, for Keon to be able to kind of put on the jersey and do the recruiting visit and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. It's only yeah. Indiana. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> I think Syracuse fans from a certain vintage would have a tough time with him going to Indiana. First, first they took eighty-seven, and then you take our. <laughs> we had our title, and then you've taken this kid. Come on, now you can't be doing yep. that. That that would hurt a lot of. I I don't know if our home field uh, deal would last through it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Connor is sure making a slam t-shirt about like something mellow wise. Yeah. If that, if, if, if that happens, let's pray it doesn't. <laughs> well, Put it that way. Yeah. One more thing before we get off of basketball, because if you're still hanging around and interested in basketball, I think uh, you may be hearing more and more of it around the, uh, the Syracuse podcast feed uh, here on fans for a sports nation network. Jeez. Andy's, Andy's got me on the yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, does it all the time. But uh, yeah, um, James. Yeah, that's right. So we're we're going to be starting a, a basketball specific pod. I'm going to call it mm. a Syracuse basketball podcast. Uh, points for originality there. But uh, yeah, that'll be coming to you soon. Uh, we've been kind of in having this in the works for a while with Noons. I'm just wanting to get a podcast together just specifically for basketball. Um, obviously, the interest is there. Syracuse fans are really passionate about their basketball. So we'll be building that out. Uh, there'll be more to come. But, uh, yeah, I'll be the host. And, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. We'll be launching more. and We'll have, we'll have more information on that soon. Don't worry. The name is still just as original as Duke Basketball Report. <laughs> Shout out to our friends at Duke Basketball Report. Duke Basketball Report, yeah. Love those guys. They do, no, they, they do a great job. But it is a very generic name. Yeah. Good for us, yeah. And uh, for anyone who's listening, if you subscribe to this feed, you will also get James's pods pushed on this feed. So uh, you should uh, should be in good shape there. Can I play the role of Tyler's from Spartansburg on that on that pod? Absolutely. Why would you? Yes. Why would you? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that's great. Well, I'll just be Dave from Manlius then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Scooter and Jamesville. There you go. <laughs> hey, Jim and Fayetteville has some ideas about this Syracuse team. Let me tell you. <laughs> we got more zone. Indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. All right. Before we wrap up the pod, let's quickly touch on what happened earlier today. This is the Steve and Christian talk about soccer for a little bit. <laughs> hey, Pens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so if anybody missed it, uh, Syracuse did not win a game today, but they advanced. Uh, Syracuse drew 1-1 with 
Um, the Virginia Cavaliers, the number three seeded Virginia Cavaliers, Syracuse being the number six seed, which is mildly insane when the ACC is so good that the three seed is number nine in the country and the six seed is the 22nd team. Um, so Syracuse is now moving on to the semifinals of the ACC tournament. They'll be hosting uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels on Wednesday at, I believe, 630. Um so at, at SU Soccer Stadium, so definitely uh, get up there and check that out. Should be, should be quite the matchup. Uh, Christian, did you were you able to catch the the entirety of the game or just? I didn't uh, catch the entirety. Like, I caught I caught the I caught like the last half of it. Okay. Uh, um, so Syracuse definitely the aggressor in the uh, in the second half, but the uh, uh, the Virginia keeper just made wonder save after wonder save. Yeah, he was literally standing on his head for most of the game. I believe he finished with 13 saves. Uh, Syracuse had 14 shots on goal. He saved 13 of them, which is stupid. <laughs> to to put it uh, on the flip side, Virginia in regulation had one shot on goal and one goal. Syracuse had 14 shots on goal, one goal. Soccer is a weird sport, people. Uh, <laughs> as, as I've been raving about lately, expected goals can really drive you nuts. Yes, as the, as as the newest football manager player in the round. <laughs> yeah, XG can really take your brain and put it for a put it for a mm-hmm. loop. But uh, either way, they ended up getting it done. Um, Virginia, basically, uh, in in pens, their keeper Stonewall Lorenzo Baselli to open it and then could not handle any slow penalties, uh, any hesitation whatsoever, it seemed, because uh, Cuse ran the table after that. Virginia put one high and then doinked one off the post that gave them the opening to uh, to seal the deal, and Syracuse is advancing. So uh, awesome to see. If you have a chance to look at the um, uh, Mateo Levesque goal, uh, really it was a goal. thing of beauty. Uh, really good goal. Beautiful layoff from Lorenzo Baselli. Uh, there, there was also a Daniel Diaz Benia um, uh, rocket that I don't know how the hell the UVA keeper kept out. But yeah, the, the, his last save was just yeah. nuts. Mm-hmm. So either way, they're uh, surviving and advancing. Pretty much a lock for the NCAA is now at this point. It's just a matter of seeding. Um, and yeah, I would say get out and you know. Uh, support them at the the SU Soccer Stadium on uh, on Wednesday. Go out and support um, the soccer team. Enjoy some dome dogs in the dome when Syracuse plays. Uh, um, just in general in basketball, I'm very excited to uh, get the return of the Zuba uh, dome dog reviews. Um, that that's that, that's really the highlight of basketball season. <laughs> You gotta get the dumb dogs and get the sauerkraut in there or something. I don't know. Hopefully, we don't have to do that as much this year. That was a that was a COVID uh, <laughs> indulgence. <laughs> All you have to really do is just wait for James's uh, Big J spread reviews. That's what we're really here for. That's right. Yeah, t- Tommy Hogan and I uh, used to be on that. I think uh, Jordan Capozzi at ESPN Radio Syracuse is kind of taking that over during the football season. So uh, good good for him. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do more dome spread analysis there. Really just the most important part of uh, of, of of any basketball season, which kicks off on Monday or tips off on Monday. So if you soccer if it kicks off, we've got some serious problems. <laughs> yeah. We have someone who is definitely not required and not qualified to take the tip if they are kicking off. All right. I'm I'm excited for the Syracuse basketball season. Steve, for the first time in like ten years, is excited for Syracuse basketball. I I've mentioned this multiple times. It's probably the first time in at least six years. Like even through some of those late Final Four runs and stupid postseason runs, I was like, "This is lipstick on a pig," uh, and I just felt like it was a sinking ship. And I love Jim Beham for everything he did, and I feel like yeah, uh, whatever. Um, we've been down this road too many times, and I really want to see what Red can do with this squad. It's going to be fun. So, yeah. so tune in to um, to tune in on 
Monday, James, where can uh, people find you if they want to follow along with your analysis of the Syracuse basketball season? Newsmagician.com. I don't even know if we're still doing Twitter or X or if that even matters. Um, I'm over on Blue Sky. Uh, there's the, the crowd over there is marginal at best. So I don't know. Wherever we do the thing on the socials, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, just follow along on Newsmagician.com. Yep, follow along on the site. Stay tuned for James's uh, podcast. I'm sure that, you know, uh, myself, uh, Dom as well, Kevin, uh, maybe even Steve and Andy, if they're feeling like it, will hop on to the basketball reports as well to give our thoughts on what's been happening during the basketball season as it goes along. It's a very exciting season. Going to be tipping off with Red Autry at the helm. And we enjoy all of you for tuning along and thank all of you for joining us tonight on the pod. If you're watching on the live streams, thank you as well for following along Sundays at 8 p.m. on Twitch, YouTube, or Twitter. Make sure you like, drop a follow or subscribe. If you're listening on your podcast podcast platform of choice, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, comment, so that we can trick the algorithm into expanding the good old Ottoman Empire. One final shout-out to our sponsors, Homefield Apparel. Use the code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3, for 10% off at checkout. For James and Steve, I'm Christian Guzman, and we say Gorge. Go orange.